Welcome to Roadhouse Minute, the podcast where we review the best bad movie of all time, Roadhouse, one minute at a time, and where we always try to be nice until it's time not to be nice. I'm Roger. And I'm Marcy. And this is Minute 9 of Roadhouse. This episode starts with a man tumbling onto the ground, and it ends with a very non-PC version of Ladies First. When we get into this minute, this is kind of a continuation of the last scene with our man Morgan attempting, as you pointed out, to sort of try to do his job. We get a classic Morgan line in this minute. Do you remember what it is? No. It's, don't come back, peckerhead. Do you think he came up with that last one that we found? That do was I think like a Terry weird Funk thing. came up with that? Weird thing. What was it that... It was like a minute two or something. He moose was lips? Glo- moose lips, yes. No, I don't think that Terry Funk came up with moose lips, although he very well might have. The next thing we see, or at least the next thing that I saw in this minute was two people. What was the phrase that you used in our last minute? In cahoots. Yeah, so there are two people that are, I would say, deeply in cahoots on the hood of a car yeah. at the beginning of this minute. Anything that you want to say about that on, again, our family-friendly podcast? Just looking at it, you can't see her at all, but you can just see her hands around him and her legs, of course. Yeah. I, re- I really like the phrase in cahoots. Can we make a pinky promise that that's the phrase that we're going to use to sure. indicate two people that are could enjoying we, each other's company? Could we also say canoodling? We could, but don't you think it's going to be a lot more fun if we say for Very the next minutes we're gonna watch dalton and doc really getting cahoots with each other yeah that's great i like how dalton's just taken in everything he's just he's just noticing a man getting thrown out doing a nice ninja roll so he doesn't actually hurt himself so we didn't get a chance to talk about this in the last minute and i know it was something that you really enjoyed would you like to maybe sort of like from your gymnastics judging background would you like to tell us give us your feedback about the quality of this dismount so to speak well can i give it from a different perspective you can use any perspective you want you're our co-host did you ever take a self-defense course and or karate i did in karate did you learn how to do the over the shoulder roll no oh really well this man lands on the ground and rolls over his shoulder did you take a self-defense course where you learned how to do an over the shoulder yes in high school and i learned how to do this over the shoulder roll you basically just kind of tuck and you roll over your shoulder and you you could land in any way and you're not going to hurt yourself it basically takes all of the momentum out of it and you don't crush your spine or anything like that guess what marcy it's time once again Maybe for the last time for a while, we do have to do a little bit of credit notes in this minute. Oh. Because we have someone important to talk about, director Rowdy Harrington. And I've been teasing this for a while, saying that we were going to talk about him for a little bit. So I think we should talk about him for a little bit because, you know, he's the director of the movie. First off, as I think I mentioned on a previous minute, he really was pretty untried. He had one feature film that had actually been released. It was this movie called Jack's Back. So the story goes... He was personally selected by Joel Silver. This uh, movie started going into production, or at least started going into pre-production, while the movie Die Hard was getting filmed. And Die Hard was the movie that Joel Silver was working on at the time. So according to Rowdy Harrington, he gets summoned. Someone says to him, Joel Silver wants to meet with you. We would like you to come to the set of Die Hard at midnight. So he goes to the set and Joel Silver just says to him, I like you. I like the work that you've been doing. And I think that this movie's going to be successful and I want you to be the director. So this guy is sort of plucked from obscurity and put into the best bad movie of all time as the director. Hmm. So I guess Joel Silver must have seen something he liked 
in Jack's back in order to entrust him with, you know, granted, this is not a $200 million budget movie, but it's a movie. And he took this guy who had not had a lot of experience and decided to put him in charge. One of the nice things about Ratty Harrington, too, just to mention, is that he really is, he's kind of like one of these Hollywood success stories in the sense that he did not start out as a director. This is not like some guy who went to film school to become Steven Spielberg. He actually, if you look at his IMDb, came up through on the production side. He first started in electrical work, and then he was able to become a gaffer, who's the guy who's in charge of all the electricians. He was someone who kind of paid his dues to get to the point where he was able to be the director. He didn't get to direct much. (laughs) So maybe Roadhouse is his crowning achievement. He only has eight credits in IMDb as a director and none since 2004. Would you know any of the other ones? No. Oh, so maybe that is not the career track to take when you want to be a director. Like maybe you need to go to film school or something. Well, I think he probably did go to film school, but just not to be a director. According to the Internet Movie Database, he currently lives in Montana, Hmm. a state that is near and dear to our hearts with his wife and no children. All right. This minute gives us our first interior shot of the double deuce in sort of the bad phase, right? You know, the double deuce goes through a couple of different phases. It starts off as a bad phase, and then it slowly starts to improve itself. By the end of the movie, we get it to be in really tip-top shape. But this is definitely bad phase double deuce. There's just a couple of details that I'll just mention. So the first thing that I noticed is when Dalton steps through the front door. There's a man who literally appears to be asleep (laughs) on his feet next to the door. Yeah. You notice that? Yeah. He's right next to that patriotic man, the honest Abe or whatever that is. After that, I will point out to you that one of the things that I think I use as a proxy in this movie for how things are going at the double deuce and how well Dalton is doing cleaning this place up is how many people are actually dancing. In this minute, there's maybe like three couples that are actually feel Mm. safe enough to be out on the dance floor. Despite the fact that Jeff Healy and or Cody, Cody and his band are just killing it with some awesome music, there's not a lot of people dancing at the double twos. I thought what you were going to say was the litmus test was if the band was in a cage or not. Well, I would say the cage is the end of stage one. The cage is the end of bad double deuce. Yeah. But if you want to look at it sort of as a spectrum, as the quality of the bar improves, the number of people on the dance floor steadily increases until we get to the end and this place is rocking and rolling. So I noticed that as well. Uh, So shout out to Dean Cundy in this minute. I think one of the things that you notice about bad double deuce is just the way that it's shot. It's like, it's like all like brown tones. It almost looks like a Wild West saloon. Like if I didn't know better, I would say that the floor in this place is almost like dirt. Oh. Or it's covered in a lot. I mean, it's not actually dirt. This is a real but building. But it's an unclean But place. if you look at it, if they didn't tell you otherwise, if you just saw this scene out of context, you might think that you were looking at like a Wild West movie from the 1880s. That's the way that this scene is shot in Bad Double Deuce. There's so much broken glass that happens. Thank you for pointing right that out. Right in this one minute. Could you, since you've... Since you've expressed your strong interest in sound, would you like to tell us your thoughts about the sound of breaking glass in this minute? Mm, There's a lot of it. And I mean, it's very abrupt in a lot of different ways. Like they throw glass at the chicken wire fence. They throw glass back at the 
pool table. There's just like a ton of it. Do you like the sound design of the broken glass in this movie generally? Yeah, I think it's well done. I do too. I think the sound design in this movie is great. Mm -hmm. I forget who the sound editor is, but I think they did a really good job on sounds like breaking glass. Yeah. So I noticed that there's two of, I believe, the same biker guys we saw from the previous minute take one of the, I think, biker women from the previous minute and just shove her into the bar. Yeah, they're a little bit rough with her. They are rough. There's a fight that breaks out at the pool table. But we don't worry about them because they're brothers. Right, right. Thank you. So that is a a great part of our introduction to Steve. We get to meet Steve in this minute. Steve is the Steve is the bouncer that will know that will not be with us for very long because of his predilection for just slightly overage girls, or maybe Uh, not even. Yeah. This is also our first introduction to Hank. Do you know which one is Hank? Hank is the youngish blonde bouncer who I think we're sort of supposed to kind of like. Is he the one that's standing against the pole and he says to the other one? Yes. Yeah. So in this minute, Hank Hank is the one who tries to get Steve to help him out. We've got a fight over there. And Steve's like, don't worry about it. They're brothers. Of of the entire bouncing crew, when Dalton arrives at the Double Deuce, the only two people who seem... remotely interested in doing their jobs are Hank, who earnestly seems like he wants to try to help make the situation better, and Morgan, who honestly seems like his goal in life is to try to crack as many skulls as possible. Yeah. After we get the F from their brother's line from Steve, we get the other set of piece of dialogue from Steve that really, I think, defines him as a character. So <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on this, uh, but just to kind of quote him, he says to one of the two girls who's sitting at the table, I get off at two. I just love to get you off about a half hour after that. That's great, that accent that you used. That was a pretty good Steve, don't you think? Yeah. Would you, as our resident female in this podcast, like to opine at this point about that particular exchange? Well, it's icky. It is icky. Yeah. Uh, The Um, other thing I noticed, like, when you look at this scene with Steve and these girls, like, if you didn't know any better, you would think he was a customer. Like, what kind of bouncer is sitting at a table just fraternizing with the customers. Can I put out another something? Okay, so Dalton's rolling into town at 8.20 in the evening, all right? Maybe 10 more minutes have gone by. He's got a park, and now he's in the double deuce. So it's 8.30. He's talking about six hours from now. At 2.30, I'm going to get you off. But that's a long freaking time from 8.30 at night. Well, as we see later on with Steve, it doesn't seem like the women of Jasper have any trouble waiting for him. Ugh, I don't know. If you tell me that I got to wait six hours for that man, no. Six hours to, what's the phrase that we're using? To get in cahoots with that man. So you're saying you would not wait six and a half hours to get in cahoots with Steve? No. I mean, he's got a shirt on that's like clearly been ripped. I don't think so. I don't get down with tan. It looks dirty. And you're right about this gal. Like she barely looks over 18. We're going to get to we're going to get to that later when there's the scene before the scene where Steve unfortunately loses his job. Steve clearly does not seem to have any trouble uh, getting in cahoots with anybody and is not very discriminating. Yuck. Tell you what, Marcy, would you like to play a little say what? Sure. Okay. So Steve has another line. It's over voiceover. So it's after they cut away from him, but I want you to see if you can identify what Steve says to, I'm guessing is the same woman at this table. I think he says, my God, you're a well put together woman. 
That's I'm going to give you credit for that one too. You are you are three for three. You have a streak going. Wow. What do you think about that quote? The the actual quote is, "By God, you're a put together woman." I think that's dumb. Like it a put together woman. It seems to work. Well, she is pretty young, so she might she might want this older man with a tan shirt and no sleeves. As you pointed out, something like that to her. This is probably the only bar in Jasper. If she's looking, shall we say, to become somebody's regular Saturday night thing, this is probably the only place she can find it. Right. Uh, Dalton shakes his head. Like, clearly, he's just kind of, he knows what he's walking into. He's not terribly surprised. He walks over to the bar. We hear more voiceover. Then we hear somebody say, ladies first, a-hole. This is where I was alluding to at the introduction of this minute. And then we see Carrie Ann getting grabbed in a very rude way by, I'm hoping, a very intoxicated customer. She drops her tray of drinks and calls him a mongrel. (laughs) Clearly, the people in this bar are animales, and they are not treating women with any sense of respect. No, and she really gets grabbed, like, all the way by the waist. Yeah, she's doubled over. Yeah, she's she is almost putting her full weight into trying to escape from his grasp. Yeah. As far as the script notes go, pretty much is scripted, but... I just, I want to, I'd like to read it to you because this is one of these cases where the stage direction is just really delicious and it's too good not to read. So here we go. Interior of the Double Deuce, Dalton's POV. It's a zoo. Chicken wire protects the band from thrown bottles and flying bodies. Only half full. Half of those are drunk or high. Half of the half are looking for trouble. And what's left are anxiously thinking of finding a safer place to hang out in. Staff are demoralized lethargic those of the five bouncers who haven't given up entirely are merely going through the motions a couple are more into connecting with women than keeping the casualty countdown across the far side of the room at the line of pool tables that runs along the wall there a full-fledged brawl is going on between competitors one guy has already passed out on the long staircase that runs up to a balcony on the back wall overlooking the bar his friends just left him there the waitresses in shorts high heels and tank tops are pawed and hit on constantly. The bartenders have a war zone stare. The double deuce is an enterprise out of control. Sounds about right. But the band is sensational. Its lead (laughs) is Phil Cody, a blind kid who plays from a low stool with a Fender Stratocaster guitar laid flat on his lap. They're wound tight nearing the end of their set. With your permission, I'm just going to jump ahead to character actor spotlight because I think that flows really well into that. We're still listening to On the Road again. It's still being performed by the Jeff Healy band. So I want to talk a little bit about Jeff Healy who plays Cody, who plays the the lead of the Double Deuce house band. Uh, He, Jeff Healy, plays most of the songs on the movie soundtrack. The interesting thing is, so our our man David Lee Henry, the screenwriter, who's actually not named David Lee Henry. I can't even remember his real name now. David Lee Henry obviously wrote, David Lee Henry is also from Canada, uh, just like Jeff Healy. It's pretty clear to me, at least, that when David Lee Henry wrote this script, he wrote Jeff Healy into the script. Like oh, before fun. they had cast Jeff Healy, mm-hmm. the script was written with a blind guitar player who plays the guitar on his lap, which I'm guessing the Venn, diagram, <laughs> the Venn diagram of those two things has exactly one person in the middle mm-hmm. of it. It's Jeff Healy. Here are some things uh, about Jeff Healy. He's born Norman Jeffrey Healy. The reason why he's blind is when he was a child, 
He lost his sight due to retinoblastoma, which is a rare cancer. And so in order to uh, remove the cancer, they had to remove his eyes. Oh, that's so sad. Well, obviously it did not hurt his success as a musician. It says here, Healy began playing guitar when he was three. Wow. And he developed his unique style of playing the instrument flat on his lap, (laughs) which, like I said, I don't think there are too many guitar players in the world that do this. Healy formed the Jeff Healy Band with bassist Joe Rockman and drummer Tom Steven. And those are the two guys that you see. So those three people are the real Jeff Healy Band. How cool. The, the band, the Jeff Healy Band, began playing regularly in clubs in Toronto, where they were discovered by guitarist Stevie Ray Vaughan. You've heard of him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Albert Collins. I've never heard of him. They were signed to Arista Records in 1988. They produced five albums. Uh, one of them, See the Light, was certified platinum. Wow, cool. I don't know what that means. I think it means you have to sell a million copies. Yeah. And uh, another album called Hell to Pay, certified gold. So they've had two at least gold albums. It's pretty good. He was inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame in 2014. And there's a park in Toronto that was named Jeff Healy Park in his honor in 2011. And I'm sorry to say the reason why they named a park after him is he died. He actually died at age 41. Mm. He died very young from cancer. He had cancerous tissue in both his lungs and his legs that they thought they removed. So he thought he was in remission. And then the cancer came back and he died. Hmm. This is Jeff Healy's only film acting credit. So I believe, you know, they hired him. He he actually had to audition a couple of times. Like, I guess if they didn't get him, they were going to move on to the next blind guitarist who plays guitar on his lap. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just would have written it in a different way. But he did have to audition to get the part. One of the people said in the retrospective that when they offered it to Jeff Healy, he was saying like, why do I want to do this? Like, this is some movie. Mm-hmm. And they said to him, no, no, this is, this is going to make you really well known. This is going to be good for you. You should do this. Yeah. And I think so then they they cast him. They signed him up for some acting lessons. And what do you think? What do you think of what do you think of Jeff Healy's acting performance in this movie as Cody? I think he does a great job. I think he's fine. I mean, he only has a couple of scenes where he actually has to provide dialogue, but I think I think he does a good job playing the lead guitarist and He's basically just playing himself. He just has to have some like specific things that he says. He does have a couple of scenes where he needs to say things that advance the plot. Because yeah. his main purpose, Cody's main purpose in this movie, is to give us a little backstory about Dalton, which we're going to see in a couple of future minutes. Yeah. Uh, it is time. We've been, we have missed this segment for a while, but it is really time now, Marcy, for us to do a little bit of crowd surfing. So this is the segment of the podcast where we pick out one person. And this is our first kind of big crowd scene we've had for a couple of minutes. I've gone first the past couple of times, so I feel like it's only fair that I put you on the spot. Would you like to tell me your person? Um, so I, crowd surfing. I will pick first, and I'm going to pick the lady, the woman coming in to the bar with the biker dudes just getting manhandled into the bar as uh, example number three of women with men. Women with men? Can you women be a little more with specific? Men. Just, I don't know. Like the other two were in cahoots in a way that seemed okay. This woman does not seem like she's in okay situation with this guy. No, there He's are... definitely got her by the shirt or the jacket. Oh, or... yeah. 
the hair or whatever, and he he's just getting her in where he wants her to go. She seems like she is. There's a lot of women not being treated nicely in this scene. She's getting pushed around. Yeah. I think that's an excellent pick. This is not going to be one of these times, though, where you and us, you and I are unanimous here. I'm going to pick somebody else, and I'm going to show you this person. So right at the beginning of this scene, there are, as I said before, there are only about three couples out on the dance floor. I want you to take a good close look, though. This at... guy without the shirt? Yes. So I have it <laughs> written down here. So my vote is for the bare-chested man, dancing man with an amazing set of pecs. He also seems to oil himself up for dancing like Patrick Swayze oils himself up for Tai Chi. I like his little front arm movements. I think I might try and incorporate that into my dance routine. I think... This is possibly the best expression I've ever seen of what Billy Crystal calls in When Harry Met Sally, the white man's overbite. He's literally standing there with his arms kind of fist down, just kind of jerking himself back and forth, mostly so that he can present one peck at a time, I think, to the delight of whoever his dancing partner is. So that's my pick for crowd surfing. Yeah, that's great. It's a great pick. Let's talk about Dalton's three rules. First rule, did we underestimate our opponent? Did we expect the unexpected? It seems to me like Dalton is not surprised by anything no. he sees. He walks in. Mm-hmm. I think I think he has literally seen every single thing in this minute at least ten times each. I agree with you. He is not he's not shocked at all. I'm also gonna say here, sadly, Carrie Ann does she doesn't really seem like she's surprised at what's happening to her, no matter how icky or hashtag me too this particular scene is this seems like something she probably has to endure on an almost nightly basis yeah uh rule number two did we take it outside uh no everything is coming inside. inside the bar it's going to be all the, the people are inside all the people are coming inside that's right and rule number three were the people in this minute nice i'm going to say that is a big no, no. all the way around we have yeah. a fist fight by the pool table steve robbing the cradle instead of doing his job and Carrie Ann getting sexually harassed. And woman getting pushed into the bar. And woman getting pushed by her biker companions. So yeah. this is this is not a nice minute. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of Roadhouse Minute. Please, if you can, rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. Come and join us on Facebook at the new Double Deuce. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at, at RHMinute. And you can email us at DaltonSaysBeNice at gmail.com. So remember, until next time, be nice. Bye now. Bye.